Listener Production. In September of 2010, with a handful of clothes to sell and a Facebook page for promotion, Jane Liu founded Showpony in her parents' garage. Fast forward 13 years and Shopo is a global fashion force, employing 100 people, shipping to 120 countries and rumoured to bring in upwards of $100 million in annual revenue. Jane Liu is a fashion business powerhouse and the Shark Tank judge and brains behind the lazy CEO on social media. And she insists that becoming a mum has only made her more efficient. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, The Weekend List, where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to. But first, here is my conversation with Jane Liu. Jane Liu, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're thrilled to have you here. And I want to go back to the start. I want to know if you were that kid on the side of the road with a lemonade stand or selling friendship bracelets in the playground. Were you entrepreneurial from the beginning? Oh my God, not, not at all. Like even I think at my, our high school had like these entrepreneurial like competitions and I just like never participated leadership things never participated just thought I would get some like corporate job which you know back then I, I looked at it as like financial security and the moment that I made the switch I realized I looked at it as like a sentence I was like oh my god I can't keep doing this so it was um something changed in me but it was probably actually Oh, this sounds a bit lame, but I started seeing this guy from Europe when I was at uni and he was the one that was like talking about traveling and starting a business. And I think I was like just really risk adverse. I don't know. I just, God, I feel like a completely different person growing up. Yeah. And I I thought it was too risky to start a business, too expensive to travel, never wanted to do any of it. And at one point I just went, I'm going to go live overseas and broke up with him. And then when I came back, I think that's when I was like, I want to start a business. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause you did go and after you graduated, you did go and get the corporate job for a while, didn't you? I did. So I got a corporate job at KPMG, one of the big four accounting firms straight out of high school, which is like, felt like such a huge achievement. And I think probably part of it is just like actually achieving what everything that you've been working for instead of like, I feel like it was so lucky that I got it so early um, because having it made me realize I didn't want it. Whereas I think if I just kept trying, I would have felt more like I've invested even more into it, you know, and I would have been like, okay, I've already invested this much time. I should keep trying to make it work. Yeah, that's that sort of feeling of like the sunk costs, right? Like I've put all this stuff in. So now I've just got to push through until it works for me. I can't cut and cut and run and, and try something new. So tell me about making that decision to, and, it, and I know that Shopo didn't come first, but to go, let's try this business thing. Let's get something moving. Like what? where did that come from? So I always thought that if I was to start a business, I thought this is back before like all these online websites on online services, like before e-commerce was democratized for everyone and it was more accessible. This is like 2009. And I thought the only way to start a business would be maybe doing something in like finance or like finding like some financial hack, which I knew nothing really about, but I had a finance degree and I thought that was to find a financial arbitrage or something would be the only way you could start a business because 
I thought starting a, a fashion business would be something that would happen to the elite or like people who like in the Eastern suburbs who had connections and a fashion degree um, and had like deep pockets and just, yeah, new, new people to help them get into like magazines and like meet the right people. So this is my, like my um, preconception of like what it takes to enter into the fashion industry. So when my friend approached me, um, and said, hey, let's start, let's start the start business. I was like, yes, let's do it. I honestly didn't even care what it was. I was just so excited to do something fun and exciting. And when she said it let's open pop-up stores, like stocking fashion and like products on fashion designers, I was like, are you crazy? Like that's just so random. There's no way that we could do this. But you know, I had no better ideas and I was excited to just do it. And she seemed confident. I'm like, let's just do it. So tell me about the decision to quit the job, the big corporate job that you'd always planned on and how you had that conversation too. Oh, I remember this moment I was sitting behind my desk and I had just been like spending the whole morning, three hours. All I had done was remove the circular reference, this circular reference from this spreadsheet I've been working on, which basically meant that the spreadsheet wasn't adding up and I fixed it. And I was like, wow, this is so pointless. Oh. And this sounds morbid, but I was like, I'm three hours closer to death. And this is all I've done. Like I should not. And God, I'm like a 22, 23 year old thinking about this. So, but I was like, I can't spend my life doing this. And this is when I started looking at my job as a a prison sentence. So I quit my job. I just thought I'm going to go full in with this business. And then, so coincidentally that month, my business partner went overseas on holidays. And so I spent that month kind of like building a website by myself, teaching myself how to not build a website, but using an existing website that you could drag and drop things into, um, taking photos of all the stock, like almost a thousand units of like styles of stock in my parents' garage. When she came back from holidays, I said, we're going online. This is our new business. I think this is where the growth is going to come from. And she said, I'm done. I'm sick of like, I'm going to go look for a job. I've actually been secretly job hunting. I found a job. I don't want to do it anymore. We're going to, let's close the business down. And I said, just look at the website. Come on. I just quit my job. Are you joking? And so she refused to look at the website and told me that nobody shops online. Okay. Hold on. Give give us some context. What year is this? This is 2010. This is two months before I started Showpro. So at this point, though, oh, I forgot to mention that I also couldn't tell my parents that I had, um, I couldn't tell my parents that I was quitting my job to start a business. But hold on, you had all your stuff in their garage. Didn't they figure it out? So then it was a side hustle. Okay. And they're like, whatever, I'll like good on her. And so when I quit my job, I just didn't tell them because it's <laughs> as an only child, we immigrated from China together and all they wanted was for me to have this better future with um, a really secure job and um, financial stability and to tell them that I had just given up everything to try and sell clothes online or in store, whatever, like that's something I knew nothing about. That just seemed insane. So anyway, I didn't tell them. So I just kept pretending to go to work. So I would get up, I'll paint you a picture of what my days look like. like yeah, I, sorry, I have so many questions about this secret life. So <laughs> were, you, were you living with your parents and you're running yeah. a business out of their garage and they don't know that you've quit your corporate job? How, how, do you, yes, how does that logistically exactly. work? 
so I would get up early and I'm not a, I'm not a morning person. So getting up early when you're unemployed, it's just, just <laughs> the biggest punish. Um, so get up early, put on my suit, like a full corporate suit, have breakfast with my parents. Um, and then my mom would work in, worked in the city at the time as well. So I used to get the bus into the city with her. So I had to kept going and catching the bus with her. It wasn't like I could just like walk into a park and then come back home. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I would go to a cafe and just kind of like try and work on this website, try and figure out what I'm doing. Um, which at least when I had the business that felt like it was like it kind of cool. It's this romanticized idea of going to a cafe and working on your business until when I lost it all. It's like, what do I have? I've lost all the money. I've been working three years in corporate up to this point and I've lost all, all the money that I've ever made. I was unemployed in the middle of the global financial crisis, so I couldn't just go get another job. Um, and I just felt like such a failure, which I think when at, when you're younger and you haven't had that many experiences with major failure, it seems I definitely over-dramatized it, but it was just such a rock-bottom moment. You had these big dreams for moving this fashion retailer online. You've created a website. You've got all the stuff in your parents' garage. You've photographed it all. Your business partner's bailed. You're pretending to go to your corporate job and then you run out of money. What's even possible to do next from there? So at this point, I only had one friend that had his own business. So I approached him trying to get a job from him because I thought, you know, I could learn about how to start a business from him. And he kept palming me off and saying, hey, go and find, like, I have a friend who also wants to start a fashion business. Go and meet her. I'm like, and I just thought, like, the last thing I want to do right now is start a fashion business because I failed. I'm clearly, like, shit at it. I that's the last thing I wanted to do. With hindsight now, I realized like I have just had the best crash course in business, in, in fashion, in the fashion, running a fashion business. Like that is obviously the exact thing I should just jump back into. Anyway, so I met this person finally because I had no other options. And we, this other girl who also had experience in the fashion industry, like we hit it off. And then we, um, one night over too many glasses of red wine, we thought, let's start a business let's call it show pony and let's just do it. And so that night I came home and I started building a website. I'm like, look, I've already had a failed business. She has a successful business. I don't want her to change my mind. So I'm just going to like create the business. It'll be too awkward for her to walk out of it. So I already had the experience. I built pretty much a website that night. We had, I had the contacts from the first business so that weekend we did our first photo shoot. She was able to find a supplier through her experience. And then within one week of um, that night with too many drinks, we sold our first product. And so two months after my business partner told me that no one shops online, I sold my first product online. That would have felt so good. You would have been, that would have been an element of smug that I imagine has continued ever since. Can you <laughs> fast forward for me, like go forward to present day, if you look back on Jane at that moment starting that business, what are some of the biggest lessons she had to learn in those first couple of years of running Shopo that got her to where she is now? Like what were the big business lessons that she sort of didn't understand at that point but she picked up along the way? 
I feel like the biggest thing was to recognize mistakes as learnings. And that is the best thing for just having that resilience to keep going. So I think looking at the first business as the best crash course in business and how with hindsight, everything that happened in Shopo was a pivot and the learning from that first business has massively helped. I think the other thing was to actually take risks and step outside of your comfort zone. Cause I feel like that's when I felt like we've had the biggest gains. That's when we found growth hacks and growth hacks are like opportunities where there's opportunities for growth where other people haven't um, gotten onto it. And that's by doing something, you know, really different. So the business was just like kind of sitting there breaking even not kind of growing that much. And it wasn't until I really started doing things that are different, especially in social media, running um, paid ads, which was still in its early stage at that point and investing more money into the business. That's when we actually had real growth. So it sounds obvious, like, you know, you got to invest and take risks to grow the business, but I had to, that actually took me like over a year to actually learn and see the business growing. And it wasn't until, you know, I was given the advice, like, if you want to have have longevity in business, like you really do need to look at it as a long-term game. And I look at it now as like, it's not, it's kind of like golf. Like I don't play golf. It's a weird analogy. I can't think of anything better, but it's not about like getting it like a hole in one. It's about just whacking it as close as you possibly can. And then just like <laughs> get closer each time. And, you know, because the, the worst part is, is not having the whack because you'll never not get there. As long as you keep whacking, you'll just keep getting closer. Um, I, I am, that is great advice. I'm also laughing about how many people who are golf players and fans who are listening who are just loving this analogy uh, and about like, Don't you whacking the whack. golf ball about. <laughs> I'm interested in the idea of taking risks and innovation. You started a business where selling clothes online was an innovative move, right? It was a point of difference because it wasn't widely widely being done at that point. But you fast forward five, 10 years and that is no longer a point of difference. Everyone's selling their stuff online. So what kind of innovations did Shopo have to make to create that point of difference in market and to stay relevant rather than just to be relevant in the beginning? Yeah, um, we've evolved so much over the years. Um, I think one big one is product development and product innovation. So when we first opened, we were just stocking another brand. And so as we grew, we started developing our own products. So for example, like what you're wearing, we might be like, oh, that's a dress. We'll make it into a maxi dress. So that's, yeah, right. that's without having any you know design skills. At a certain point when we grew larger, we hired our first designer. And then from hiring our first designer, we were able to kind of create new categories. So we started selling formal wear at a price point. We started selling, um, you know, me working at corporate and realized I used to spend so much money on suits. Yeah. So I wanted to do like work wear at a price point. And then we, a, a big one was, you know, doing, um, we started doing things like active wear and swim, but a, a really big development for us that took years in development was extending our size offering. So 
traditionally businesses offer size six to 12 and we extended it to four, from size four to 20. And I think that was the real point of differentiation. Yeah, sure. And open up the market for us. And also the fact that our approach was not to do the usual kind of like standard shapes that curve um, fashion would have. You know, I, I think we don't kind of dictate what people want to wear. We're able to serve our customers and give them the option to buy into new trends. Like someone who's size 18 shouldn't have only a limited options. You know, they should be able to wear this new trend that they're seeing. And so that's what we were offering. So that was a huge one. But of course, I think for any business in, in a really crowded market, the biggest moat and the biggest point of differentiation will also be your brand. And so that's something that we've been, you know, building throughout the years through, you know, brand activities. And also I think I've accidentally started building my personal brand along with it. Um, kind of doing it initially because, you know, as an online business, I felt like it was when online businesses were new, you know, you wanted to, I, I think it made people feel more comfortable to see a person behind the brand. And as that kind of like grew, it's also helped Showpro build the brand. So um, yeah, I think that's also um, another way that we stand out because, you know, you can't, you can't replicate me. I love the work that you're doing around inclusivity and making sure that the same product and the same look is available to people of all sizes because it, it is a, an annoying trait of the fashion industry to suggest that as soon as you're bigger than a size 14, you can only wear really weird, loud, boring prints in a shape of a bag and you're making stuff <laughs> that is cool and it's flattering that people want to wear. One of the trends we're seeing amongst consumers is being a little bit more conscious, I think, uh, environmentally and having a greater understanding of the impact of fashion on the planet. How does Shopo respond in seeing that change of demand and desire in customers as well? Mm, so we have started using recycled fabrics and more uh, preferred fibres. So we've actually uh, started a new range like a year or so ago that's been very successful that uses natural fibers. Um, and then we've also started bringing in recycled fabrics into our um, core range. Talk to me about the building of the personal brand because you're the lazy CEO on social media. You've got this huge following and your personality is very much part of the brand. And I feel like that's just gone to a new stratosphere with, with joining Shark Tank. <laughs> what was first day on set like at Shark Tank? Oh my God. I was so, so, so nervous because um, the day before you filmed, we had only had one, we came in for one practice round. They had, we had three pitches with actors, but I think with actors, it's also like everyone's being very polite as well. Because yeah, we're sure. All, besides, besides Robert, who's like the, an OG um, shark in the US and Canadian franchises, everyone's new. We were all a bit, um, a little bit more shy, I think. And I was just so, so nervous. I couldn't believe the cameras were rolling as soon as they were, but as soon as they started rolling, everyone just got into it. It, it honestly didn't take us long to warm up. It's just crazy. I, even when we had the wrap party, when it was all finished, everyone came out of the woodworks. Cause you kind of know the floor crew, you know, the cameramen and the but then all of a sudden like a hundred people appeared out of nowhere and you're like whoa <laughs> like so many people are working on it um 
yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Part of your role, uh, I suppose, on on that show is not just saying yay or nay to the investment, but also almost acting as a bit of a mentor and a, and, and a coach mm. to uh, to some of the people who pitch to you where you do decide to invest. What does that look like after the show? Like, you know, there aren't many TV shows where you shoot and then there's this ongoing relationship with what's happened a season earlier, but it's a, it's yeah. a kind of different TV show in that sense. Yeah, um, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I feel like if there was in the season, I would be like, not just looking at the investment money, I would definitely be considering like, do you have the capacity to take on the um, business side of it? And no, it's, it is very exciting. As much as I, um, I, I love the balance that it brings because I get really excited about that early stage business. And I'm always trying to like, not start a new business because I really want to. And I know that would be stretching myself too much with like the podcast, the kids and the show pro business. It would just be all a bit too much. So it, it definitely helps me tickle that itch of not starting a, another business. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah, really exciting to work with like different types of entrepreneurs and be able to like actually make a difference in their business. Um, you know, I've got, we've, I've got some really amazing businesses and entrepreneurs um, that I, I can see the growth opportunities and I've been there for all those moments where they've been stuck. So to be able to just like give advice, introduce some people um, and just sit with them through some mentoring to help them grow the business. Like it's, it's such a, it's, yeah, it's so cool. It's such a great opportunity. I love it. Jane, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, but I can't let you go away without checking back in on how your parents feel about it all now, now that they know the truth, that you didn't have the corporate job anymore uh, and that you've graduated well and truly from their garage. What do they think about your career? Oh, my God. So they're, <laughs> well, up until a few years ago, they still kept saying, yeah, but you haven't had kids yet. So I was like, come <laughs> on. But now, so now that I've got two, they're like, they don't have any to complain about. They're very happy. <laughs> well done, you. That is the ultimate game to get your parents off your back. Jane, congratulations yeah. on all you've achieved and thanks for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for my conversation with Jane Liu. You can find Shopo online and everywhere, folks, and you can also catch Jane Liu on Shark Tank on Channel 10. Don't go away. The Weekend List is coming up next. Alrighty, it's time for the weekend list. It's Helen here, producer of the weekend briefing, where we recommend what to watch, see, do, or eat, or even listen to. Now, my first recommendation is Last Stop Larimer. It's a Netflix two part doco series, and oh my God, I could not recommend this enough. I binged it over the last week, and it's a two part doco series, but they are quite long. So it goes into the wild story of a murder in a small town called Larimer in rural Northern Territory. The town actually only has a population of 11 people that sadly turns into 10 with the the murder and disappearance of Paddy, one of the residents. And it was made by a bunch of Americans that came over and set up and filmed this doco series. And it is so outrageous and so Aussie as well. The characters could not get any more Oka and Aussie. I really just felt like I was jumping straight into the middle of nowhere. And oh my God, I cannot get over the characters. It feels like these 
people are so fantastical that it's it's made up the storyline, but it's not. It's all real. And I think that just makes it even more fascinating when you're watching it and just delving into the lives of these residents of the town. So the town's pub is the centre of everything, pretty much, which a lot of small towns are. And of course, though, there are meat pies. These are meat pies made by Fran, which also take up a lot of the storyline. And I loved it. I lived for it because obviously Aussies are known for their meat pies around the world. And look, if you're into true crime, you're going to love this. But I personally think it's true crime smashed with a bit of reality TV. And it was filmed over quite a number of years. So it's fascinating to see the progression of the people and the town and the residents and the storylines. And it just is really well done. I could not recommend this enough. There we go, folks. That's where Paddy used to live. That's where he went missing. Last time I saw Paddy was December the 16th. See you later, folks. And off he went. The next day I did go looking for him. He wasn't there. There was no sign of any disturbance. There was a very eerie feeling. <laughs> Everyone in Larimer was a suspect. What's your relationship with Paddy? Did you knock Paddy off? Where's Paddy's body? Do you know what happened? Are you involved? I don't know nothing. My second recommendation, surprise, surprise, is the Britney Spears memoir audiobook. So... Britney Smith's memoir has been out for, I'd say, maybe a week or so now. So when the audiobook came out, I downloaded Audible and I got it straight away and I used up my credit to get Britney's book. And it does not disappoint. Oh my goodness. So I feel like even if you've got the book, give the audiobook a listen because the start is actually voiced by Britney. There's a small kind of chapter voiced by Britney and it's so amazing to hear her voice reading it. And then it does switch into the narration goes into Michelle Williams, the amazing award-winning actress, and she reads the rest of the book. And wow, it's so good. So the book covers a lot as expected. It covers Britney's childhood, her rise to fame, how the media treated her in comparison to her male co-stars and her relationships, which is honestly so disheartening to hear when you really hear about it and think back about it. And I mean, it still happens today, but it also covers the conservatorship, which is so fascinating. And it also covers her children and the relationship with her children. And it's such an amazing book. And it really paints the timeline as well of all of those iconic moments in Britney Spears' life. Like her performance with that giant snake wrapped around her when she was performing I'm a Slave for You at the MTV Music Awards. It does make you want to go back and Google quite a lot and relive those. So uh, if you're a fan of Britney or if you know a bit about the conservatorship, but you really want to have a bit more, I could not recommend this enough. Pop it on the car while you're driving, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Let us know at the Briefing Podcast Instagram. We love to hear your feedback and we love to hear what you're listening to and what you want us to recommend. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for being with us and tuning in. It's always a pleasure. Now, if you want more of The Weekend Briefing, you can find us on the Listener app and you can download the Listener app in the App Store and follow us there. Otherwise, you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And hey, why not give us a rating or review for this fabulous interview with Jane? FYI, you can rate and review every episode. 
We'll be back Monday morning where Tom Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones, along with some very interesting interviews. Stay safe, everyone. Listener.